0: Last week, that all the public ways for Public Servants Day, and you really were incredible. Uh, I know that all the public servants who came were truly touched by your kindness and your support, and we had such a great time together. Last Sunday, our topic was serving those who serve, and today, in the second week of serving others, uh, I want to talk to you about your first ministry. Your first ministry. If you don't serve these people, then the rest of your service will always be limited. It won't ever be complete. And your first ministry, I'm sure you guessed already, is your family and those closest to you. Uh, Christian researchers and secular researchers both agree that if you choose one variable that will affect the quality of your life, it will always be relationships. Uh, It's not money or fame or good looks. It's relationships. And uh, there are many different methods that therapists use to define uh, what they call relationship circles, and some have defined uh, the innermost circle as intimacy, those people you can't imagine your life without, and you usually live with them and trust them the most. Uh, then there's the circle of friendship, and uh, these people are still close to you, but with less intimacy. You share dreams, good news, and troubles with them, but you don't share toothpaste and laundry baskets. Uh, And and then there's the circle of participation, Uh, co-workers, acquaintances, community. You interact with them regularly, but they aren't necessarily dream sharers or trouble sharers. Uh, Finally, there's the circle of exchange. And uh, these are people with whom you do transactions, Uh, customers, doctors, clerks, paperboys, et cetera, and, and so over these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about some special relationships with our community, uh, with our neighbors, with our friends. And uh, by the way, Friend Day is March 22nd. And so that's not far away. It's only I think four Sundays away. And I hope you'll be thinking about a friend that you can invite to be your special guest on that Sunday on Friend Day. And after church, uh, have your friend or your friend's family over. For dinner, go to a restaurant, have a barbecue, and let's see if we can all have a friend attend on that day. But in part two of our Serve campaign, we're going to be talking about many of the relationships that we should be serving as we serve God. But today is the first ministry, the intimate uh, people, the intimacy circle, the people closest to you. And we're going to go to the first book of the Bible for our reading this morning, to Genesis chapter 18, and if you get over there to Genesis 18, we're just going to read three verses as we get started here this morning, a passage dealing with the life of Abraham. Genesis 18, verse number 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, in a while, we'll go back to Genesis 12, and we'll see where God uh, had promised Abraham some amazing things regarding a future family. But... Right here in Genesis 18, we see that this was based upon God's trust of Abraham's intentions and practices for a family. Uh, I, I want you to imagine God saying this about you. I know him. I know her. Uh, he will command his children and household after him. And she will teach them to keep the way of the Lord. He, he will lead them to do justice and judgment so that God can bless her and her family in the way that he desires. And and so verse 19 is the verse we're going to break down today. It has four specific trust factors that God saw in the life of Abraham that he also wants to see in our lives as we serve him in our first ministry. And these are in the notes in your bulletin. And also on the YouVersion app if you want to follow along. Let's talk first about leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. God knew that Abraham would command his children and his household after him. Now, that is a high-value legacy as defined by God. Now, I want you to take a second to compare this legacy with the legacy that so many people on earth desire to leave. Uh, Because there's a lot of talk about legacy. It's a big thing these days. Uh, Here's five ways to leave a legacy. And this is from the Huffington Post. Um, Here here they are. Number one, support the people and causes that are important to you. Okay? Sounds pretty good. Number two, reflect and decide what's important in your life. Uh, Number three, share your blessings with others. The Huffington Post used the word blessings. It's pretty remarkable. Number, number four, be a mentor to others. Uh, number five, pursue your passions because they are infectious. And it, so those aren't bad, right? They're, they go along with most of the thoughts that you will hear about a legacy. A legacy that isn't attached to eternity anyway. Uh, see, if you're a Christian, And eternity isn't the cornerstone in building your legacy. You have missed the whole point of your Christianity. Uh, God trusted that Abraham would lead his descendants to become God followers like he had been. His descendants wouldn't just follow in his physical attributes or in fun hobbies or in being a fan of the local sports team. Uh, Isaac would revive the altar that his father had built. Jacob would return to Bethel, to the house of God where his grandfather worshipped. Joseph would live with godly integrity and preserve Abraham's family through a seven-year famine in Egypt. Uh, a few generations after that, there was a descendant of Abraham you may have heard of. His name Moses. Uh, Another one named Joshua. And there's one named Gideon and Samuel and David and Solomon and Elijah and Isaiah and Daniel. And we could go on and on. They all followed the faith of their father Abraham. His legacy was about faith. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's take the word of one of his descendants. Okay, A later descendant of his was named Paul. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, who against hope believed in hope. You ever been there? Against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, that right there is a legacy. could there be anything better? He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. listen again, because you may want to claim this one for yourself. Uh, He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. She was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And you contrast that with where we're at. Uh, He was really good at fishing. He was a great hunter. She could crochet a blanket like nobody else. Uh, Her pot roast was incredible. They RV'd in every state except Hawaii. Because it's, anyway. Uh, Huge Broncos fan. Uh, Loved to run down the jackpot. Uh, Had a green thumb. Retired early and enjoyed life. Rebuilt the 72 Corvette Stingray and made it shine. What's it going to be for you? What message will your life leave to those who know you best? And so leaving a legacy in Abraham's life, pretty plain what it was. He was a man of faith. But his faith didn't call attention to himself. It brought glory to God. Now let's talk about this second part, blazing a trail, blazing a trail. In Genesis 18, we got this verse, and the first part was, look, I know him. He's going to command his children and his household after him. Now here's the second part, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. They shall keep the way of the Lord. So Abraham blazed the trail of faith by continually moving in the direction of God, continually moving in the direction of God. I love what it says about Abraham in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, think about this for a second. Abraham never reached the city during his time on earth. Uh, It says, he died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. He knew that he was just a stranger and pilgrim on this earth, and he was on a journey seeking after God. He discovered that the journey is what's important. Embracing and enjoying the journey is where contentment really is. There are a lot of people who live their lives, and they're on this path, and they're like, okay, contentment is this, this out here, is this this village out here, and once we get there, everything's going to be good, right? And when we get to that place, that's where it's going to be good, Yeah, we're always thinking that way, right? And that's what the world teaches us. Listen, if you could get to that job, or you could get to that level, or if you could have this much money, they asked Rockefeller, how much money would be enough and he said, "Just a little more, just a little more, right?" And he never got to the city contentment. Richest man in America never got there. Why? Because he didn't enjoy the journey. Here's what Abraham taught us: the journey of following God is the destination, right? And the walk of faith is the destination because God is the author and finisher of our faith. And the gap between the author and the finisher is our lives on this earth. And uh, so here we are as people, and sometimes we find it hard to enjoy the journey, the process, uh, the refinement, the trying of our faith that brings patience. It's like when you're a kid and you're seven, you spend the whole year being seven wishing you were eight. Right? You remember that? And and then when you're 8, you're wishing you were 10. And when you're 10, you want to drive a car because your big brother drove a car. And and you want to experience what older people experience. You want to get married and you want to have kids. And and then you want your kid to grow enough where you can actually play with him. And you don't have to change his diaper. And and then you want your daughter uh, to grow up more so she can go to school and you can have some time for yourself. And, And then there comes a point where you wish you could go back. And you wish time would stand still. And you wish on your kids' birthday that they didn't have to go up another year. And you wish you had more days to enjoy your life. And you wish your kids were small again, but maybe not at the diaper stage we mentioned, right? And, and we have to learn to live in the present. We've got to live today. Abraham blazed... I love the amen right at that point. That was perfect. We actually worked on that all week. Could you just pinch right right at this point? Uh, Abraham blazed a trail that taught his descendants to embrace the journey at every point. So many people miss the present because they're looking ahead to the future. Think about Jacob, Abraham's grandson... He waited 14 years to marry Rachel. He met her. The first day he met her, his eyes got bigger than saucers. His knees got weak. And uh, under his, his long robe, they were shaking, actually. And he went and asked her dad, Laban, hey, she's the woman for me. Can I marry her? And Laban said, wait seven years. So he waited seven years. The Bible says it seemed like days. Right? He loved her so much. And uh, the night of the wedding, here she came down the aisle, and she had a veil that covered her face. And uh, they were so excited to be married, and he woke up the next morning. Ah! <laughs> it weren't Rachel. It were Leah. And the Bible says that Leah was tender-eyed. We don't really know what that means. Some commentators think that that means that her eyes... Went both directions, okay? <laughs> Just saying. Maybe that's the Natalina, Catalina, Hubensteiner, Wallensteiner, L- Hogan, Logan, Bogan, was her name that she used to sing when you were a kid? Do you remember that song? She had two teeth in her head, in her mouth, one point north and the other point south. Catalina, Madalina, Hubensteiner, Wallensteiner. You guys don't know this song? You should look it up. Google. YouTube. <laughs> All right? Probably wouldn't be politically correct anymore to sing that song, strike it from the record, right? Which well, never happened at church. Uh, but so he waits seven more years. And again, it seems like days to him. He had to embrace the journey. And uh, you think about Moses, he leads over a million people wandering in a wilderness for 40 years to get to a place that you could walk to in less than a week. Now, does that seem a little frustrating to you? Right? If you're trying to get to Walmart from your house, and it takes you four extra minutes because there was a wreck or construction, some people, it like almost makes them go out of their mind. Here's Moses walking around, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years for a journey that took less than a week. How'd he do it? Well, this same Moses had walked around for 40 years leading sheep. God had prepared him for the journey ahead by the journey of the present. And the journey is always about the present. It's about maintaining direction. And so what direction are you going right now in your life, in your leadership, in your influence? And chances are good that your direction will be followed by those you influence. Okay? They're going to follow your direction. And remember this. If you don't get anything else today, get this one. This is big. Your direction always determines your destination. Right? Your direction always determines your destination. How do you reach that city Abraham was trying to find? You go in that direction. How do you reach that promised land Moses is trying to find? You go in that direction. A consistent direction blazes a trail for others to follow. But don't miss out on having contentment with where you are on the journey right now. Allow God to commune with you in the season where you are now, because you can only walk with God in the present. You can. You can only walk with God in the present. You cannot walk with God yesterday, right? And today, you can't walk with God tomorrow. You can only walk with God in the present. And it's so important to keep your spiritual relationship guided in the present. And this affects everything else. Because so often we think, well, when my kid gets this age, then we'll start doing this. And when, when my kid does this, then we'll start doing this. And the thing is, we've lived in the future for so long, and never lived in the present, that when we get to the future, the present catches up with us. And the hopes and dreams we had pass us by really quickly. And then all of a sudden, the kids 18 are like, whoa, I wish we had done this. I wish we had done that. And so you have to pencil things into your life in the present. The biggest one's to walk with God. So he blazed a trail. Now let's look at this third part. Modeling a pattern. Modeling a pattern. God says, I know Abraham. I know him. He'll command his children and his household after him. They'll keep the way of the Lord. To do justice and judgment. To do justice and judgment. Now, Abraham left his descendants a pattern of behavior. A pattern of faithfulness. A pattern Uh, of justice for the oppressed. And uh, there are a lot of oppressed people uh, in the world in which we live. It's so sad to see it because uh, there's young people who have, uh, they they wear the red, uh, this past week or two, they wear the big red X on their hand because they want to cancel out human trafficking. Uh, Human trafficking and human slavery is at the highest rate, numerically, that has ever been in the history of the world. Now, you would think as society has advanced, if humanism's right, and we keep getting better and better and better, that we would have gotten rid of that a long time ago. But maybe humanism is false, and maybe we're not getting better and better, maybe we're getting worse and worse. And maybe human nature is sinful, and it doesn't matter how wealthy of a country you live in and how civilized the city is you live in, it's still around. And here's what I want to see. I want to see the young people with the passion for the red X of saving girls from human trafficking have another X to save children where they're actually able to be born. Last year in New York City, uh, I read the stats the other day, Uh, There were more African American babies aborted than there were born in New York City. And uh, they are hurting races. They are hurting heritage of people uh, through this horrible practice. And it's injustice in our time. It's happening in our time. Think about Abraham's day in which he lived. One day, this is in Genesis 14, and one day Abraham heard that his nephew Lot and many other people, uh, including women and children, had been taken by tribal kings from their city. Uh, all their stuff had been taken, and they had basically been kidnapped and were being sold as slaves. Well, Abraham passed out gear to 318 trained servants in his own household. Okay, now there's a couple things you should think about there. God knew exactly the number of Abraham's servants. That's pretty big. Uh, the other thing is, is he had 318 trained servants, right? Can you imagine this? In his own house. So he arms them. They don't go down to the local sheriff and say, hey, sheriff, uh, these people got stolen. You need to go do something. No, they ran all night north, out of uh, where Israel now is into Syria, and they enacted justice upon those kings. It means they killed them. And they returned the people and goods to their rightful place. He didn't wait for somebody else to do the right thing, he didn't wait for somebody else to do the hard thing. And that left a pattern. Now, can I tell you something? People who wait for somebody else to do the right thing never become true leaders. People who wait for somebody else to do the hard thing, they don't ever become true leaders. And and this story of Abraham was told to every generation of kids in Israel. And they always talked about this part, where old father Abraham, over 90 years old, ran all night long to enact justice upon the tribal kings so that he could get the the innocent people back. This was Abraham's Popeye moment. Now, whether or not he actually downed a can of spinach, we don't know, but we do know that he enacted uh, justice out of holy discontent. Holy discontent is where God puts something inside of you, and you say, something has to be done. Something has to be done. Something has to change, and it can be in a city, it can be in a country, it could be uh, some injustice, something has to be done. You think of Israel's history, Uh, a kid named Caleb heard that story, and and he and Joshua stood for following God when 10 other spies called for Israel to turn back in Numbers 13. Uh, In Joshua chapter 14, the same Caleb at 85 years old faced down the giants of Hebron. Uh, Then in Judges chapter 3, there's a kid named Ehud. And he heard the story, and he went to save Israel from wicked king Eglon. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I preached it one time, and here was the title. "Lefty Stab, Fatty in the Belly. All right? And here's the end of the story, and it's not good to talk about it, church. And the dirt came out. Okay, that's what it says. It's in Judges 3. It's actually in the Bible. Yeah, a shepherd boy named David heard the story. And he couldn't stand injustice being done to his people, so he went down in the Valley of Elah and faced down a giant. You probably know him. It's Goliath. Somewhere in your life, God is going to bring you to a moment of holy discontent, a Popeye moment. That's all I can stands because I can stands no more. And the question is going to be, will you stand up for justice and judgment or will you shrink away into the background how you deal with issues of justice becomes part of the story you leave when those closest to you live what you've modeled will they be champions of justice and judgment or will they lack the foresight wisdom and courage to act upon the truth I hope you just wrote that down uh, foresight wisdom and courage. Foresight, wisdom, and courage. Let me tell you why they're important. These are three things we should all pray for every day. If you're a parent, you should especially pray for these things. Foresight, so that we know what's coming before it's arrived. We can sense that something needs to be done. We can sense that our kids are drifting from God. We can sense that there's distance in our marriage. And, and then there's wisdom, wisdom so that we know how to handle the situation, and, and then courage, courage so we can actually step up and do it. You now, way too many Christian parents are losing their kids to the world, and it's not always because they don't see it coming. Sometimes it is. It's not always because they don't know what to do. It's often because they didn't have the courage to deal with it. They're afraid to tell their own kids what to do. They're afraid to set boundaries and enforce boundaries in a loving way. And as a result, many times there are little to no boundaries. Kids are left as easy prey for the world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, But you know, as we navigate this life and we seek justice and judgment, we need those three things more than ever, especially in the generation we live. Foresight, wisdom, and courage. It's okay if that kid lives at your house to tell them that they can't watch that video at your house, or they can't listen to that music at your house. That's okay. Don't be afraid of that. Uh, we we sometimes think that we have to give in or they won't love us anymore. And what we've created is a false premise. Because love, scripturally, you know what the first thing love does? It tells the truth. Right, I got to tell the truth to to people that I love, and if I don't tell the truth to them, I'm wounding them. And so here's Abraham standing for these things. But you know, there are sometimes where there's nothing you physically can do to engage. There's nothing you financially or emotionally can do to stop injustice. And, and Genesis 18, here God is. And it's so unique because we find God asking a question. We see the inner workings of God. God says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? What was God going to do? Well, we find out that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their out-of-control wickedness. And uh, we know that Lot, Abraham's nephew, lives there. And maybe God thought that Abraham would go try to rescue Lot and his family from the impending judgment. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why God shows us his divine thought pattern here, but I am sure that Abraham showed amazing character in his response. Here's what Abraham knew. There was only one option, prayer. That was the only option. Now, we, we sometimes reverse this order. Like, we we tried this, and then this, and then this, and they're like, okay, well, now the only option left is to pray, and really, we should pray first, right? That's the first thing we should do, Uh, but Abraham, he got to the point where this is the only thing he could do is to pray because human beings are incapable of canceling the judgment of God upon sin. We're incapable. We do not have quality to be able to do this. And so instead, Abraham interceded on behalf of Sodom, specifically on behalf of his nephew Lot's family. And Abraham went to God in prayer and said, God, if there are 50 righteous people, will you hold off judgment? You wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked God. That's not like you. And Abraham asked God this question, shall not the judge of the earth do right? Right? That's a pretty strong prayer, that God promised, if I find 50 righteous, I won't destroy the city. And so Abraham begged God again, God, if there are 45 righteous, God, if there are 40 righteous, God, don't be angry if there are 30 righteous, God, if there are 20 righteous, God, I'll just ask one more time, if there are 10 righteous in the city. And when it came to justice and judgment, Abraham modeled a pattern of being for justice, but also of asking for God's mercy against judgment. Now, this is an incredible balance. And I want you to try to think of it in real life, all right? Both of our boys, our older boys, are out of high school now. But this this was a real scenario for me uh, because... I was, at one time, I coached them a little bit in basketball, and if my kid uh, gets fouled in the basketball game, I want justice, okay? Call the foul, ref. Good grief. He's getting slapped out there. But when my kid fouls somebody else, I want judgment withheld. Not really much there. Incidental contact, man, what a weak call, and uh, when it affects the people close to me, that are on my team, I cry for mercy. When it affects people who are on the other team that I don't agree with, I want justice. I want truth. And God knows that the balance of mercy versus truth is the hardest balance on the planet. It's The hardest balance on the planet. And that's why John 1 says that Jesus came full of mercy, full of truth. Jesus is the only answer to the impossible balance. Uh, Only those who follow the pattern of Abraham can navigate the balance. Abraham went to war for justice. He went to God judgment came. And Jesus calls us to the highest ethic possible. Here's what Jesus called us to do. Jesus called us to love mercy for people who have hurt us. That is the highest calling in the Christian realm, to love mercy for people who have personally wounded us. Now, we naturally, we love mercy for ourselves, right? We love that. But we don't always love mercy for other people. And and so this is a high, high calling. And Abraham exhibits this. Now I want to break this uh, down to our fourth part, offering and inheritance. Okay, let's kind of review what we've talked about so far. God says, I know Abraham. He's going to command his children and his household after him. They're going to keep the way of the Lord. They're going to follow Abraham's pattern of doing justice and judgment. Now, look at the last phrase, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Well, what has God spoken of Abraham? Let's go back to chapter 12 in Genesis, and we'll see. What has God said about Abraham? Verse 2, Genesis 12, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham is going to be a blessing, and he's going to be blessed by God. His entire line of descendants are going to be blessed, because one day, almost 2,000 years later, a baby will be born in a stable outside of Bethlehem, and they'll call his name Jesus. It'll be the savior of the world, God with us. And there is no greater inheritance than the blessing of the gospel. If you had a Christian parent who passed down the blessing of the gospel, the knowledge of Jesus to you, uh, that's an incredible blessing. Now, it really is. And I know uh, there are many people who don't have that blessing Uh, There are people here today uh, who were saved as a teenager and your parents didn't know Christ. You were saved as an adult and received Jesus into your life and and your parents didn't know Christ. And it is a huge inheritance that God uh, gifts to families to say, listen, you can pass this down to the next generation. You can pass down the knowledge of who Jesus is. And every one of us leaves Blessings or curses to our family? You say, well, what kind of curses could we possibly leave? Well, sadly, there are too many to count. But when it comes to us frail human creatures, if we leave our families only what this world has to offer, we are leaving them a curse. The Bible tells us in several places that riches can be a horrible curse to leave on your loved ones. Uh, because they trust in riches instead of God. Generational sin is an obvious curse. Most people learn their bad habits from their own parents, right? Do as I say, not as I do. And when you were 12 or 13 and you're going through changes in life and you said, I'm never going to be like my dad, right? And, and then you said, I'm never going to be like her, She's so mean to me. I really don't like her at all. And then you get to be 28 or 29 years old, and you look in the mirror one day, and guess who you see? Because those curses continue to go down through generations. And it just happens. Those are curses that we leave. One of the worst curses you can leave your family is the curse of religion. Religion is a horrible curse to leave. Because religion gives people false hope that they're okay with God. And every generation of man centered religion becomes a deeper pit to escape. And you know, people who have been born into religion six, seven generations deep, and it's impossible almost, except for God, to be able to talk to them about truth. Because they've been totally brought up uh, under the propaganda of a religion. Religion can't bring anyone into relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. And God does not want us to leave things to our children that will hurt them. This is the God who desired to bless all nations of the earth through Abraham. And this is the God who desires to bless others through each of us. And it really comes down to this. We either leave light leads to life or we leave darkness that leads to death. That's really what we leave. That's the inheritance we pass down. Right? Because it's attached to eternity. Any inheritance we leave is attached to eternity one way or the other. It's either light that leads to life or darkness that leads to death. So there's definitely a faith challenge for us today. Living out intentional love with those closest to you, is your first ministry. It is your first ministry. And I want you to know today that God is cheering you on. Uh, Just like he's cheering Abraham on. Abraham, I know you. You got this. And when it comes to your closest relationships, I want you to remember this. You can't change the past. You can't change the past. Yesterday ended last night. It's over. But you can be in the present right now. You can enjoy serving your family today. And if you focus on the present journey, it will change the dynamics of your future and of your legacy. That's God's great wish for you. Now, everybody... Hey, buddy. Thank you. I know you got something when you're looking at it. It's okay. But... Let's look at it down there. Um, everybody in life, we've got hopes and dreams, right? The parents have hopes and dreams. And it, sometimes here's what happens. The hopes and dreams we had for our kids, we forgot to actually live them, right? We, we, we're, when we have kids, we're going to have Bible time every night. We're going to do Bible story. We're going to pray. And then our kid gets to be eight or nine, And we get in touch with this again, and we hear a message, or we read a book. We're like, oh my, all this time has passed by. We didn't live out our dream. And you know what most humans do at this point? It's too late. It's too late. Can't do it now. Here's what I want to ask you. Who says? Who says you can't do it now? It's not God. It's not God, right? You know what God says? live for me today. Walk with me today. Bring your family into relationship with me today. Right? Yesterday's over. Uh, tomorrow can only be affected by what we do now. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, every night at dinner, we had dinner at home just about all the time. And Uh, once in a while we'd go to McDonald's and mom would order for us this is back when cheeseburgers were 25 cents Um, mom would order for the whole family it would be like $2 worth and we'd go share it I was the only boy so my sisters got like a fourth of a cheeseburger and I got a half Um, until I was like in 5th grade I got a half of a peanut butter sandwich for lunch every day and I got to looking at my childhood pictures, and I figured out maybe that's what happened because my mom razzes me. I wore the same shirt in my kindergarten picture as I did in my fourth grade picture. Like, yeah, now we know why. Uh, but, but every night we have dinner, and uh, then after dinner, uh, dad pulled the Bible down from the shelf, and he'd say, okay, let's do our verses. And his goal was for us to memorize uh, chapters out of Proverbs. And if you've ever done that, it's not really that easy because they're not attached in logic. Uh, But man, we just kept learning them. And then he had a prayer list and we each had to pray for a different thing. And I remember when I was in college, I lived in the uh, room on the back of the house. And every night when I was home for dinner, you know what I did? The same thing they did. Why? Because that's where I lived. I didn't always feel like doing it. Sometimes I thought I was above it, but if I was there, I did it. And uh, listen, it's okay to build those qualities into your home. It's okay. You are not damaging your kids by making them learn a verse from Proverbs. You're not damaging your kids by praying with them, right? Can I tell you how you are damaging your kids with just about everything else? Right? You're naturally damaging your kids because you're a human. The only answers we have are from God. And so if we want these answers, we really need to tune in to what God has for us. And I hope you'll do that as we go through this uh, second part of the campaign, Serving Others. Every week we're going to deal with a different group that we are to be serving. And we're going to see the scriptural principles that God wants us to have on this. And so I hope you'll stay focused with us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that we could come this morning and uh, be in tune with what you have for our lives. And I pray that as we think of the relationship seminar tonight, uh, that many folks would be able to sign up even after this service. We'd be able to walk through some of the principles you have for us as husbands and wives and in relationships. And I pray that you'd bless now in our time of baptism, that you would bless these who are making these strong commitments for you and that you'd guide them in their lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna let those who are getting baptized to go ahead and uh, head out to change. Um, And in just a second, I'm gonna ask uh, Brent Mai to come and and give us an announcement uh, about uh, some of the things we have coming up related to our school auction uh, and gala that we have this year. And I know that's all coming online and everybody's excited about it. And so, Brent, come on up, see if we can find you a uh, working microphone.